Hello and welcome to this message from Skip Heitzig of Calvary Albuquerque. We pray that God uses this message to strengthen your faith. If he does, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at mystory@calvaryabq.org. And if you'd like to support this ministry financially, you can give online securely at calvaryabq.org/give. To make an object glow in the dark, you must add a phosphor that will energize by ambient light and have a very long persistence. In the message Glow in the Dark, Skip considers four things that will help us shine bright in a murky world. Now, please turn your Bible to Philippians chapter 2 as he begins. Light is essential to our existence on the earth. Most of us know that. Light is needed for the process of photosynthesis for plants. Um, we need it to navigate through our lives. There are objects in front of us and we need to know what to do with them, make decisions to go around them or to engage with them. But also light is important to our emotional makeup. Uh, experts tell us that every year when it gets to be winter time that a significant base of the population gets SAD. a seasonal affective disorder that is when the days become shorter there's less light it affects their mood they become depressed sometimes now for most of human history whenever the sun went down the world got dark cities would shut down there were no lights to speak of people would light candles in homes armies would stop marching they would set up campfires and they would pause for the night ships could not navigate into harbors unless of course there was a torch that was lit in a lighthouse but we live in a modern era where those days are gone we have artificial lighting so you can go into a room flip a switch and light it up or light a stadium up for that matter and you know what it's like when you fly at night and you look down at our country and you see those islands of lights that represent cities And uh, some of you right now are even following along in your Bibles on a screen that is lit up, backlit. And so you are reading the scriptures but you are depending on the light that is emitted from those diodes for you to be able to engage and and read. So we have lights all around us and we need them frankly for for life. When I was a kid, I I loved lights. My dad was a builder and uh, he showed me how lighting a building can affect the the mood and even the way you enjoy a facility. But I always remember Christmas time in our house and I loved it when my mom and dad would put lights on the tree, turn off all the lights at night and that warm glow, multicolored glow of those lights. I still love that. My other favorite lighting event is 4th of July fireworks. I always love seeing them go off, streak across the sky. How cool was our stadium event this year when 1500 people gave their lives to Christ and we got to celebrate with fireworks afterwards. There's something um enlivening about them, something patriotic about them. But let me just say that next time you're at a fireworks show and you're looking up at the sky, keep your head in that direction. and and keep looking when the fireworks subside when they burn out 
keep looking and you'll notice something else up there that is glowing. The stars. They've been there long before the fireworks went off. And they're going to be there a long time glowing in the future. Those stars just kind of steadily shine their light. Emit their light. And when you go out in the country and you lose the light pollution of the city, it's even better. With that in mind, listen to the words of Daniel. It sets us up perfectly for this text. Daniel chapter 12 says, Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. I want to talk to you today about shining your light. You and I are called to be light bearers, to shine our light. That's going to be in our text. So I want to talk about how to glow in the dark. You know, um, as Christians, there's a number of ways we can shine our lights. Uh, let me just show you a little demonstration here. I hope I don't get in trouble by the... I hope there's no fire marshal here. Okay, so this is a cool little candle lantern, right? So that's kind of nice, and it's fun, and the candle's about out. So um, it's good, like if you're in a tent and you need a single source of light and you don't have any electricity, this will work. And it's, it's, it's warm, it's attractive. If it was really dark, it would really look cool. Um, but there are some Christians, and this is how they shine their light. They just kind of have a nice little warm glow off over here to themselves, just sort of glowing and... I'm enjoying what's going on, period. So that's one way you can do it. And that's okay, but it's not the best way. Here's another way that you can shine your light. Here's a little flashlight. Now watch what happens. Is that pleasant? Is that nice? Does that feel good? It's horrible, isn't it? So uh, some of us are like this. Oof, unfortunately. You just walk up to people and go, Hey, sinner! Listen, so it works, but not very well. So a better way than just glowing on your own in a little warm environment for yourself or doing this in somebody's face is to actually take a light source and be a flashlight believer that shines uh, the way out of darkness, helps them get out of the darkness that they're in. That's a better approach. And so, with that in mind, let's look at our text. Hold on. Blow that out so I really don't get in trouble. And look at Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. You'll see how Paul has a theme with this. Do all things without complaining and disputing. Some of you already feel convicted right there. That you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering... On the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. Now let me catch you up to speed a little bit on this epistle and kind of put it together. 
So Paul writes a letter to the Philippian church, and um, they're worried that Christians in Philippi are worried about Paul. Paul's in prison. He's been arrested. He's in jail. Uh, so our, our, our biggest stalwart example of Christian leadership is gone. He's in jail. We don't know what's going to happen to him. And uh, they're confused by these circumstances. So Paul writes him a letter. And he says, first of all, we're partners in the gospel. So I'm in jail, but you're not. Um, and I want you to know that my incarceration, my circumstances, what has happened to me has actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. I'm incarcerated. The gospel is not. It's being furthered. Roman guards, praetorian guards, members of Caesar's household are hearing the truth. So there's people who could never hear the truth in any other way than this are hearing it. And then he says, I'm in jail, but you're there. And while you're there, here's how I want you to act. I want you to be humble. I want you to be loving. I want you to serve each other. And the greatest example of that is Jesus himself, who left heaven, came to earth, took on a human body, and he humbled himself to the point of death, and God exalted him. So do that. Be like that. That's where we have come through so far. Now Paul tells us why. Now he tells us why we ought to live that way, and here it is in a nutshell. Because the world is watching. And the world as they're watching our lives, we must therefore not blend in to them, but stand out from them, be different enough that they appreciate that difference, that it it does something for them. It leads them out of darkness. You shine as light. There was a, a man driving his car. A woman was driving behind him in another vehicle. They were at a stoplight. When the light turned green, the man in the lead car did not look up. He was looking down, maybe at his phone, but he didn't go. It's green, but his car didn't go. The lady in the car behind him did see it, and she let him know that she saw it by honking the horn. She honked her horn, but the guy in the lead car didn't budge, didn't move, didn't look up. So she honked it again. She's getting a little mad at this time, rolled down her window and yelled. Nothing happened. But just when the light turned yellow, right before it turned red, he looked up, noticed it, and zoomed through the intersection, leaving the woman to go through a whole nother light cycle. Well, now she's fuming, and she rolls her window down, puts her arm out, and gives a certain gesture. I don't need to go any further than that. She yells some very choice words, ranting, raving, pounding the, the steering wheel. And just then she noticed a police officer with a gun pointed, saying, Ma'am, I want to see both hands. I'm going to open the car door with your hands up. I want you to get out of the vehicle. So she gets out of the vehicle. The police puts her arms behind her, puts her in handcuffs, and takes her to jail. She's in, in, in a cell for two hours. After two hours, that same police officer lets her out and says, Ma'am, I'm, I'm very sorry for the misunderstanding, but you, you just have to know that as I was listening to the words you were saying and I was watching the gesture you were making and I was watching you ranting and raving and, and going through those contortions, 
And I had also noticed on the back of your vehicle, the what would Jesus do bumper sticker and the little chrome fish that's on your trunk and the follow me to Sunday school license plate holder. Naturally, I assumed that you had stolen the car. Fair enough, right? The message on the back of the car was very different from the message coming from out from inside the car. So as the world is watching us, what are they naturally assuming? So I want to share about how to glow in the dark. And what I'd like to do in looking at the text that we just read is, is give you a fourfold strategy. And first, you have to understand what kind of world we live in. What is the condition of our world? I want you to notice in verse 15 that Paul describes it as a crooked and perverse generation. Do you think those words describe the world that you live in? As you look around your world, would you say this is a crooked? Now, this is 2,000 years ago. Do you think that we have gotten better or worse than that? Are we still in a crooked and perverse generation? I would say so. In fact, look at the word crooked. Uh, It's a word that some of you will be familiar with. It's the word scolios. We get the word scoliosis from that, a medical condition of the bending of the spine so that a person can't support the weight that you were designed to support. So by using the word, what Paul is saying is the world we live in is morally bent, spiritually deformed, and unable to support the weight of life. Very strong word. A crooked world. Then notice the second word, perverse. That's sort of the same thing, but a little bit different. It means to twist and to turn. We live in a twisted, morally contorted world. Perverse. If that language surprises you, it shouldn't, because the Lord Jesus even said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? So as Christian people, we need to view our world plainly. We need to view our world spiritually, and we need to view our world ultimately. Now let me explain that statement. There's something about just a plain, honest look at the condition of the world. When you turn on the news, or you read a newspaper, or you get it on your pad and you see the cover stories, I know it gets old. I mean, how many of us love to be informed on the latest terror attack in the world? It gets pretty bad. And some of us get so tired of looking at the news. Some of us want to fast from any information. But we need to see what kind of a world we live in. We're not getting brighter. The world isn't getting less bent. It's getting darker. Consider this. In the past century, the last 100 years, 123 million people, 123 million people have been killed in wars in just the last century. That's more than any and all of the centuries that preceded the last century. According to the FBI, there is a murder every 35 minutes in our country, a rape every six minutes, and a burglary every 14 seconds. That's the plain look at your world. That's the world we live in. 
However, we need to see it not just plainly, but spiritually. You know when Jesus looked at a crowd? He looked at a crowd very differently than Skip Heitzig looks at a crowd. I don't like crowds. I don't like lines. I don't like traffic. I've told you this before, and I I bet I'm echoing your sentiments. Now, we really don't have traffic to speak of. I'm sorry, but you're talking to an L.A. boy here. It's like, yeah, this is good. But I don't like lines. I don't like traffic. And it's, I, you know, I just get agitated. Somebody's actually in front of me on the freeway. How dare them? That's just human nature. Sorry, that's how I feel. But Jesus, when he looked at crowds, he looked at them differently. It says that he, he saw the crowd, the multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And I think, boy, if I could learn to see people like that. And here's the challenge. Let's start viewing people not as clients, not as potential business, but as eternal souls, eternally, spiritually. So we ought to view them plainly, spiritually, and that does lead to the third, eternally. Because the the truth is, um, those who are in that moral and spiritual darkness, if that is unchecked and unchanged, they have eternal consequences, which should drive me to be compassionate for them. Our Lord Jesus talked about outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's how we need to start viewing our world. So we need to begin with, if we're going to glow, we need to understand the kind of world we're in. Second, we need to understand our position in this world. You'll notice with me verse 15 that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Now look at this phrase, zero in on it, among whom you shine as lights in the world. That word here, lights, is typically in Scripture reserved for starlight. Think of looking past the fireworks and seeing the starlight, that continual shine of starlight. Now, here's how I look at it. The world is bent, dark, contorted, all that Paul described it as. Which means, the conditions for us to shine have never been better than they are now. Because the darker it gets, the brighter our light can shine. And so, you know, we complain, man, the world's getting dark. Yep. So shine brighter. Don't... You've heard the saying, don't curse the darkness, turn on the light. So it's getting darker, so shine brighter. Now, we know some things about light. I don't know much about light, but there's a few things I do retain from my education. I know that light is electromagnetic energy. I studied the electromagnetic spectrum. I understand that light travels at 186,000 miles a second. When it's not in a vacuum, that's... How, it, how fast it goes. 186,000 miles a second means that sunlight takes eight minutes to get from the sun to the earth. Because it's 93 million miles away from the earth. So the light that you enjoy left the sun eight minutes ago. But something happened this week, if you saw it on Monday, called an eclipse. 
where we could even see it. We, we could see that an object much, much, much smaller than the sun could actually block the earth from the rays of the sun. So it, it passed between uh, the earth and the sun blocking the rays. And in some places it was a total eclipse. It would have been marvelous to see that. Now what happened on Monday, that eclipse, must never happen with us. We must never block the glory of the sun, S-O-N, the Son of God, in all of His radiance and glory. We, by our lives, must never diminish that glow, but we should reflect that glow. Now, something else about light. Light, to be effective, has to be seen. Light has to be seen. Please notice that Paul says, among whom you shine as lights in the world. For you and I to be effective, we have to be around people who are in darkness for the light to be noticeable and for it to work. If all we do is shine among other people who are shining, we're not doing a lot of good. So here we are Sunday morning. It's great. We're worshiping God. We need to do that. We understand what the Bible says about getting together. However, if this is the only place we're shining... We're not doing the world any good. Here I am. I'm in church. I'm shining. This little light of mine, I'm letting it shine. That's cool. But we have to leave this place and go out. You know what it's like? It's like this. So here's my flashlight. Remember? Okay, so what would it be like if I walked out in the sun right now with my flashlight so I could see where I was going? If you saw that, you'd say, really lame. You don't need the flashlight to see where you're going. The sun's brighter than your flashlight, so you don't need to do that. So that's what it's like when Christians only shine around other Christians. Uh, We need to be in the darkness for the light to really be of value and for it to work. That's why Jesus said, So let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You see, there's no such thing as secret discipleship. Because the discipleship will destroy the secrecy. Or the secrecy will destroy the discipleship. So, among whom you shine, the light has to be seen. Something else about light. Have you noticed that light reveals what darkness hides you know, something about turning on a light that is very revelatory or, or taking an object out into the sun and examining it. It's very, very amazing, the difference. I have a rug. I had a rug until this week in my study. It's out for cleaning. Uh, it's, a, it's an old thing that we got at a pawn shop. And it's a nice rug, but it's, it was pretty dirty. So we took it out to get it clean. And um, when, I, when we lifted it off, it's a dark floor. And when I, I exposed it to the bright lights, I was amazed how much dirt was under that rug. Now, it's not like we're slobs. I mean, we vacuum and clean and stuff, but, you know, it concealed a lot, and it really showed it when the lights were turned on. The bright light revealed what the darkness was hiding, which is why we need to be careful when we share our faith with unbelievers, because when you share truth, which is revealing... And people who are living in darkness hear those things. Certain things in their lives get exposed. 
and it hurts. They'll wince. They don't like that. And you don't have to be obnoxious. You don't have to like shine the flashlight and go, hey, do you like hell? Because you're going there. You know, you don't have to be obnoxious. You can be winsome and warm and lovely and deferential and sweet and at the same time just speaking truth will be enough to convict people who don't want to budge from their darkness that they will flee. Jesus said it this way. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Something else about light. As I mentioned previously, it shows people the way out of darkness. It doesn't just expose the darkness. It's really helpful when it leads or directs somebody out. So we all know that Jesus said, I am the light of the world. That's what he said about himself. We know that. But listen to the context of it. Here's what he said. Here's the full sentence. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now Jesus... Last time I checked, left this world. He ascended into heaven. He was here, he left, and he gave his Holy Spirit to us. So he said, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. But he turned to his disciples and he said, you are the light of the world. So think of it as the sun and the moon. The moon reflects the sun, shouldn't obscure the sun, should reflect the sun. So as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. But now to you and I, you are the light of the world. So don't block the sun. Don't eclipse it. Reflect the sun. Now, how do we do that? Well, the short answer is we have to get close to the one who is shining. So, you know, when we talk about glow-in-the-dark products, if you have a watch that has a dial that glows like I do, Uh, or you have those little um, rubber necklaces they pass out at games, you know, you put around your neck or your wrist. So those phosphorescent toys or objects, they have a phosphor embedded into them. And a phosphor reacts to a light source. So you hold it up to a light, like in the sun or a light bulb, and it charges. That's what they call it. it. There's a charge that takes place. The phosphor gets excited by the light source and then it continues to shine and that's called persistence. Now the persistence of the object that is glowing is directly relational to the radiance at the source. So the longer or more intense the source, the more persistence it's going to have. And so, so it is with us. For us to glow, we need to go close to Jesus, grow in Him, and in fellowship with Him, in proximity to Him, getting all of that warmth and glow, then our persistence will be more impactful. And I want to show you that and show you exactly how. And this takes us to verse 14 through 16. I want you to look at it because I'm going to show you how to glow. And this is what we're called to do. This is our vocation to the world. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. 
holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. I'm going to sum that up. There's two ways to glow. Attitude and action. You need the right attitude. You need the right action. The right attitude is verse 14. Do all things without complaining. Uh Uh-oh. Guess what? This isn't going to help, perhaps. But it says do all things. I made a discovery. All things actually means all things. You know, I'd I'd love to say, yeah, but in the Greek, you know, it's all things really means some things. No, it actually means all things. It's sort of like Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God. Here's another all things. Do all things without complaining and disputing. You know what it means to complain? (laughs) Who doesn't? Let me tell you what this word means. The word here for complaining literally means to mutter in a low voice, a low tone, an undertone. The word means under your breath. It's this. You're not really vocalizing it to somebody else. You're just, you're ticked off at something and you're just, you just got the bad attitude. It's a bad attitude. Okay, so what's the context here? You're shining as a light in a crooked world. The world is watching you. How attractive is a Christian who does this all the time? Is that effective in winning people? Is a complaining, grumbling, disputing believer going to bring people out of darkness into the light? No, it won't. So, to be a complaining believer is bad advertising for the kingdom. Would you agree with that? It's bad advertising. Because why would an unbeliever listening to you grumble and complain want to do what you're doing as a follow Christ? Because you're saying, you know, you need to come to Christ. Peace and joy and love and greatness and awesomeness. and They're going, really? You know, you're always grumbling, so your God doesn't treat you very well, so why should I follow Him? So do all things without complaining and disputing. It's like a family at breakfast, and the father began the breakfast by a very pious prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you this day for all the food and all the goodness that you provide. And, and then afterwards, started complaining about the coffee being too weak and his wife making the eggs run and being late for this and that. And so little daughter's listening at the table and says, Hey, Daddy, did God hear you thank him in your prayer? Well, of course, God always hears our prayers. And Daddy, did God hear you complain against mom and the eggs and the coffee and he got nervous now uh yeah i guess god did hear me say that and so she innocently said well then daddy which one does god believe which one does god believe now an unbeliever looking at us which one are they to believe the complaining you or the you ought to follow god because he's awesome you do all things. That's the attitude. That's how you glow. The more you complain, the more you diminish the glow. So that's the that's the first part. Now look at the next word. Do all things without complaining and disputing. Different word. Disputing is when you take it from under your breath and it's in a dialogue. Now you're telling everybody what's wrong with everything. 
Okay, that's different than complaining. Now you're disputing. Think of the woman in the car. When she rolls her window down and shares those choice words and gives that gesture. and So that's the disputing part. And it's disputing what her bumper actually says she believed in. You remember that Jesus said, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves? Dove is pretty harmless. And a serpent was considered shrewd. Why is it that we as Christians think that we should reverse that? And be about as wise as a dove and about as harmless as a serpent? Does no one any good, does it? Hey, what animal in the Bible does Jesus say we're most like? Sheep. Ever ever been scared by a sheep? Ever seen a sign, beware of lamb? Lambo is here. Watch out. This is my guard sheep. Jesus said, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Not wolves in the midst of sheep. You are sheep. That's your temperament in the midst of wolves. So first is the attitude. All important is attitude. Do all things without complaining and disputing. Second is the action. Here's how you glow. Not only your attitude, but your action. Verse 16. Holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Now when you think of holding something fast, what do you think of? Gripping it, holding it firmly. So I'm holding my Bible fast. I have a good grip on it. So Paul could mean um, you need to have a good grip on the truth uh, of the gospel because that's what he means when he says holding the word of life. That's a synonym for the gospel message. So it could simply mean get a firm grasp on the message that brings eternal life. However, this word is a little ambiguous and some translations put it this way, not holding fast, but holding forth the word of life. And I think that's a better idea. Um, Don't just hold it fast so you know stuff. Hold it forth so that you show stuff, so that you are telling others the message. He is speaking here of sharing your faith with people, preaching the gospel, not just knowing it, but showing it, sharing it, speaking it, evangelizing with it. So we glow in the dark by living our lives differently. We glow in the dark by speaking the truth accurately. What we exemplify with our life must be amplified by our lips. So if you're one of those believers who say, Well, I like to live a silent witness. I like to live my witness. Well, that's okay that you are living your witness, but that's sort of like this little guy. So I'm going to light it, and I'm going to put it over here, and it's got a nice little warm glow, and isn't it awesome? And it is. It is. But if you never actually tell people why you are so awesome, and why you are so warm, and why you've got this cool little glow going on in your life, if they never know how that happened, they're not going to know how to get out of darkness themselves. So at some point... We actually need to put words to our life and tell people how we got out of darkness and came to the light and how they can too. We have to share the gospel with our lips. Romans chapter 10 verse 14, 
Paul says, how can they believe in one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without somebody preaching to them? So, listen, if you think you can be a secret agent Christian, I'm encouraging you this morning, blow your cover. Let the state secret out. Let the kingdom secret be known. Tell them what really the skinny is. And tell them what heaven's all about. And tell them how you got changed. So, how do we glow? Right attitude. Right action. Now I want to close with the last two verses. And there's something here I never really noticed until this reading of Philippians. In verse 17 and 18... He says, yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. Now, I didn't see this before, but Paul here is linking his suffering and their sacrifice. He's putting them together and saying, I want you guys to start seeing this as worship. It's part of your worship to God. So see where Paul says, if I'm being poured out as a drink offering. Now that's a picture they would be familiar with. You and I aren't. But in ancient times, pagan cultures had um, a thing called a libation where they would take a, a vessel, a glass, maybe with wine in it, and they would pour it on top of a sacrifice that was being made. And it was symbolic of you know going all in. I'm, I'm pouring everything into this. I'm withholding it for myself and I'm pouring it out. Even in Judaism in the Old Testament, there was something called a drink offering. It was poured out. Paul sees his life that way. He's in jail. He's suffering. And he says, you know, I may not make it out of here alive. I'm incarcerated, but I might have to pour my whole life out and be killed. By the way, that's how Paul used it in the very last letter he ever wrote, 2 Timothy. He said in his writing, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my death is at hand. So here's what he's saying. Even if this means I'm being poured out on, did you notice it? On the sacrifice and the service of your faith. So it's their sacrifice and his offering poured on top of it. That's the word picture. Do you see the word service? It literally means worship service. It's liturgia. We get the term liturgy from that. A ceremony. A liturgical ceremony. uh, A a service of worship. So, So listen, let me tie it all together for you as we close. Paul is saying, all of our glowing, all of our light bearing, all of our gospel preaching, all of our attitude adjusting you need to see that as part of your worship to God. Because that takes it to a whole new level. See, that gives us a whole new reason to adjust our attitude. Gives us a whole new reason to share the gospel. Gives us a whole new reason uh, to let our light be seen. Because it's part of our worship to God. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is, NIV says, your spiritual act of worship. Your spiritual act of worship. So, let's glow in the dark. 
Let's leave the place where we're all shining so brightly and go out into the dark, crooked and perverse world and glow in the dark. Lest the darkness overshadow our glow. I, uh, I want to close with a crazy question, but I want an honest answer. How many of you drink Coke products? You're Coke people. Raise your hand if you like. I don't, wait a minute. Let me rephrase that. Coca-Cola. Not Coke. Not Coca-Cola. Okay, you're Coca-Cola people. Raise your hand. I won't ask the other question because I might be surprised by the answer. But. Okay, so these are Coca-Cola people. How many Pepsi people? Raise your hand. Okay, once more Coca-Cola people. Raise your hand. Okay, so I got to tell you, Coke wins. And I think I know why. Want to know why Coke wins? Because a few years back, years ago, they they had a stated goal of of Coca-Cola Corporation. They said, our goal is we want every person on earth to at least taste Coke, a cola. Every person, that's our goal. That's a pretty lofty goal to say, I want everybody in the world to taste Coca-Cola. This is how they've done. As of today, 97% of the world has heard of Coke. 72% of the world has seen a Coke product. 51% of the world has tasted Coca-Cola. Over half. You say, well, that's only over half. It's not 100%. Yeah, but you know how long Coca-Cola has been around? Only 100 years. In 100 years, they've been around... Over half the world's population has tasted Coke. Now, you know how how long we've been around, the Christian community's been around? 2,000 years the gospel message has been around. I know things go better with Coke, but things go way better with Jesus. So, we can't boast of those numbers. We can't boast of the same numbers of the Coca-Cola Corporation, so I think you would agree it's time for us to glow, to get in the game. So to glow, we have to go to Jesus and grow in Him so that persistent glow comes forth from our lives. So, Father, we want to draw near to You, Lord. And uh, we need um, to be serious about seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness And so that, Lord, our lives, uh, that we enjoy you, because the closer we are to you, the more uh, joy we will have. A case in point we know is Paul the Apostle, who's in prison, but he was so close to you and close to your plan and purpose and your heart that he could say, even in the words we read, I'm I'm rejoicing, and and you need to rejoice too. Even if that means I'm going to lose my life in the process, this is for a good reason as I pour it out on the sacrifice and service of your faith. So Lord, I pray that you'd help us to shine in a dark world and not be overcome by it. Strengthen your people, Lord. Thank you for the time that we could get together and understand the the meaning of these rich texts. In Jesus' name, amen. As believers, we're called to shine the light of truth and salvation in a dark culture. So how will you glow in your daily life? Let us know. Email us at mystory@calvaryabq.org. And just a reminder, you can give financially to this work at calvaryabq.org. 
Thank you for joining us for this teaching from Calvary Albuquerque.